Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here and to worship together with you. I always enjoy coming down here. I had a beautiful drive again this morning, and the Lord has blessed us with another day of worship. This morning I want to talk a little bit about prayer. You know, we often quote the Lord's Prayer. We refer it to as the Lord's Prayer. And do we know what we're saying when we pray the Lord's Prayer? That's my focus this morning. I want to look, first of all, at Matthew chapter 6. I want to look at the verses prior to the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6. I want to start reading here, first of all, verses 5 through 8. Notice how he starts out here. He says, when thou prayest, or when you pray. Indicating that we would pray. And I often wondered, I thought of this, what would you do if you couldn't pray? I don't know what people do who don't pray. I don't know if there's anybody that don't pray. I'm sure some atheists don't. But where do you turn to? What would you do if you couldn't pray? Let's read here Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. It says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Now he tells us here what we shouldn't do when we pray. It's interesting here he says use not vain repetitions. You know sometimes you hear somebody praying and they use the same phrase over and over and over. Um, my one uncle when he prays, he says, oh heavenly father, everything is, every. I think that's probably half his prayer. Oh heavenly father, and then he prays some more, oh heavenly father. I don't know that that's necessarily vain repetition, but yes, we are praying to our Father in heaven. But he says, don't use vain repetitions. Pray in secret. Don't pray to be heard. We'll look more at this later. I want to go ahead and read here now verses 9 through 13. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What is prayer? What would you say prayer is? The songwriter says this about prayer. Prayer is a soul's sincere desire, unuttered or expressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. Prayer, the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice returning from his ways, while angels in their songs rejoice and say, Behold, he prays. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air, his watchword at the gate of death, he enters heaven with prayer. The purpose of prayer is not primarily to move the hand of God, but rather to hold the hand of God. Do we pray to get our way? Do we pray to, for God to bless what we want to do? I came across, I was reading in a book, Check Your Commitment, and he goes down through here, and he has, I was impressed with the way this whole thing was set up, and I, I want to look at that. Um, 23 things that we can look at here in the Lord's Prayer. It kind of breaks us down in a few words at a time. And I'm not going to spend as much time on the last half as the first half, just because of the nature of it. So, if I'm only halfway through these and time's getting away, don't be too alarmed. I'll try to not keep you too long. The first one is, as he starts out here, our Father. Indicating a relationship we have with God. Our Father is mentioned here. Notice in, back in chapter 9, Matthew 5. In verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So we as children pray to God our Father. If you go over to verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I was impressed here with these Sunday school lessons as we look at fellowship and love and so on. It speaks about us being God's children. Whether we can know we are of God or not of God. You know, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and they were accusing him of being an illegitimate child. And they accused him of 
casting out demons, Jesus being the son of, of Belial. And he said, you can't cast out demons in that manner. And he, was, he tried to explain to them there how, how that all works. Being God's children. Being a child of God. Go to the book of John, John chapter 1. says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So as we, as we pray our Father, we're recognizing that relationship, that he is our Father, that we are under his authority. Romans chapter 8. Verses 14 through 16. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Then he goes on and talks about being heirs and joint heirs together with Christ. Our Father in heaven that relationship that we have with our Father. One more yet in Luke 15. We have the parable here of the prodigal son, and we notice the relationship that he had with his father. It says, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. The prodigal son recognized where his food was coming from. He recognized how good he had it when he was living at home with his father. And he said, I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And we know the story there, how he, he was glad to have his son back. That relationship was there where he wanted him back. And the son was glad to come back to the father. Next we have recognition. Do we recognize who God is? Do we recognize him as God? Do we have the words... Who art? Genesis 1.1 and John 1.1 both speak of God's creation, the beginning of all things. Do we recognize God? Do we believe in God? What do you believe in if you don't believe in God? couple of verses in Revelation I want to look at. Revelation 1, verses 1 and 2. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. So again, we have Jesus, or John writing down here the testimony that God was giving him. Notice also in verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. Recognizing again God and who he is. In Steve Chapman's book, I don't know if any of you, how many of you read his devotional books, the one here on uh, Look at Life from the Riverbank, he gives an illustration of someone who didn't believe in God and how they tried to convince him that the thing of creation, the whole idea of creation, and that God created all things. And I'll just read here from this. Apparently he had met this lady at church, and he had known about this incident, and I'll just read it here. Though he was a friend, the visitor did not embrace my friend's Christianity, especially her stance on the biblical account of creation. His belief was in the theory that at some moment in ancient history there was a sudden explosion of matter, and the result was a formation of the universe as we know it. In other words, the Big Bang Theory. Our friend suspected that her guest would continue in his acceptance of the Big Bang hypothesis for at least two reasons. One, it was in his mind a viable explanation for the unknown. Second, and more likely, to accept the truth that God was responsible for creation would mean he would have to admit the Almighty existed and that he would inevitably someday face him for judgment. Searching for a way to convince her non-believing visitor, she decided to try something unusual. When early morning came, she prepared a wonderful breakfast, southern style, and it included all the trimmings presented on a beautiful setting of her best china dishes. The aroma of fresh coffee, bacon, eggs, and biscuits filled the house. When her guests appeared in the dining room, he inquired, Did you do this for me? His question opened the very door she had hoped for. Without hesitation, she answered, Actually, it was early this morning that I heard a big explosion in the kitchen. Surely you heard it. I came running into my dining room, and lo and behold, this breakfast was sitting on the table. I'm not sure how it happened, but let's enjoy it. The man took the bait just as she planned. Of course, I don't believe you, and I know what point you are trying to make, he said. Then, as if divinely planted in her head, my friend gave her skeptical guest a challenge when she asked, How could you possibly believe in something so extreme as the Big Bang Theory of Creation, if you can't believe in my Big Bang Breakfast. With that, he grinned and recognized her victory. How ridiculous. And yet, there's people that don't believe in God. They believe that this big explosion happened and we have what we have today. Do we really believe in God when we say, who art in heaven? Adoration. We have the phrase here, hallowed be thy name. 
recognizing God, giving him praise. A couple of verses in Psalms. Psalm 48. Psalm 48 and verse 10. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. They're giving praise to God and to his name. Then in 89, Psalm 89. Six through eight. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them who are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? Psalmist asks a question Who is God? To be compared to. And singing his praises. Recognizing him. And adoring him. Because he is a holy God. A couple of verses in Revelation again. Speaking of praising God. Revelation chapter 1. And verse 8. Says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Again, God's name is to be praised, to be reverenced. If you go over to chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, he's talking about the four beasts. They rest not night, day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Again, recognizing God and who he is. In the Williams translation, I thought it was interesting how it says it here. It says... May your name be revered. And the Beck translation says, May your name be kept holy. Again, speaking of the goodness and the greatness of God. The next one is anticipation. He says, Thy kingdom come. Do you, do you really mean what you're saying are you anticipating Christ's return or would you you know sometimes we think things in our earthly minds you know maybe you're going to graduate from school and you say well I wish God would not come till I graduate or maybe you're anticipating marriage and you say, well, I hope he don't come to after I'm married. Or, You know, sometimes we 
Sometimes we think those things, and yet we are praying that kingdom come. Do you want God to return, Christ's return? Are you anticipating that? Revelation 3.11 says, Behold, I come quickly. If you go to Revelation 22.12, we get the exact wording there. It talks about coming quickly, and he says, He will give to every man. Let me just turn to that. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. Do we want God to do that? Are we, are we anticipating the return of Christ? The next one is consecration. Thy will be done. Do you really want God's will? Do you want God's will and not your will? When we pray, it's far more important to pray with a sense of the greatness of God than with a sense of the greatness of the problem. How do you pray? Do you pray that God would get his will? Or do you pray with reservation, afraid of what his will might be? Nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God. Prayer isn't getting your way in heaven, it's getting God's way on earth. And so we pray, thy will be done. Of course, Jesus prayed that the Father's will would be done. Are we consecrated to the will of God? The next one is universality. We have the words, in earth. Do we want God's will done across the earth? It is for all people. We have this in John 3, 16, 15 and 16. It is not God's will that any should perish. We have this in 2 Peter 3, 9. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so as we pray this prayer, this prayer is for all people on the earth. It is God's will that his word goes to everyone. Then we have conformity. Not only are we to be pray according to God's will... But we have the phrase, as it is in heaven. I was impressed with Jesus' prayer in John 17. I want to look at that. 
John 17, verses 9 through 11. He says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one, as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So again, we have God's will done in heaven. Again, do we know what we are praying? Go to Matthew 26. Again, Jesus not only told us how to pray, but he lived what he prayed. In Matthew 26, 39, we have Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he prayed, it says, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And if you go down to verse 42, again he prays, O my Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And then we have in 40, verse 44, it says that he prayed the third time saying the same words. So he wanted God's will to be done in heaven as it is in earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And it was God's will that Jesus go through with the crucifixion. In Luke 22... 42, it says, maybe the same thing in a different way, it says, when Jesus prayed, he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was not looking forward to this, but he was committed to the will of God as it is in heaven. The first ones we looked at here were recognizing God and who he is, recognizing his will, seeking his will. Now we come to supplication, give us. We're asking God, the one who we pray to, the one who we adore, the one whose name we rever, to give us. And I thought it was interesting there in the Lord's Prayer. There's four things there that we are asking God to do. It's give us, forgive us, lead us, and deliver us. Those are four things we're asking for. 
Proverbs 30 verse 8 says, feed me with food convenient for me, or food you prescribe for me. Feed me with food you prescribe for me. God wants us to ask him. Go to Matthew 7, verse 7. It says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Did you ever have your child come up to you before they could talk very much and stand there and grunt? Uh, uh, uh. They want something. They're asking. We need to come to God and ask. We need to recognize that he will answer. We need to pray believing he will answer. Go to Mark 11, verses 22 through 24. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. I think I'm in the wrong... I'm in Matthew. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. So we need to pray in faith, believing God is able to answer. You know, sometimes we don't always like God's answers. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it's wait a while. That's the hard part, it's waiting. You know, we live in a now generation. Everything has to happen now. Another answer that we have sometimes is, you've got to be kidding. God wants me to do that. We are praying to God, and sometimes he asks us to do difficult things. The next thought we have is that of definiteness. You know, sometimes we pray, and here we have the phrase, this day. Give us this day. I need it now. I need your help now. Be specific about what you are praying. Remember, you are talking to God. When you go shopping for a vehicle, you probably have a little idea what you want. You know, we probably want a certain brand, and we probably have our, our preference of color. And maybe a few other things. We have specifics we want. So 
shouldn't we not be specific when we are praying to God? You know, sometimes we get in a hurry when we pray, or maybe we get sloppy when we pray, and we said, well, just be with so-and-so, and be with so-and-so, and be with so-and-so. Well, yes, God is with them. But be specific. And I appreciate the prayer our brother had this morning. He was specific about what things he prayed for. Next, we have the words, our daily bread. Necessity. Things we need. We are praying to God. We have recognized him as the source of all things. And we are asking him for our daily bread. Both physical and spiritual. Expressing our dependence upon God. Where does your food come from? You know, that's a big thing in today's world. Is it organic or not organic? It's like the little boy, they ask where the milk comes from. He said, from the store. Wrong. They might have got it from the store, but it didn't originate there, okay? In John 5, verse 30, Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. He recognized where his help came from. He recognized the source of all things. So we need to recognize our daily bread and where that comes from. Next, we have that of penitence. He says, forgive us. We as humans need to ask for God's forgiveness. We as, as people come to Christ, they need to recognize they are sinners. And so he says, forgive us. Turn with me to Luke 18. Speaks of the Pharisee and the publican. Starting at verse 10 here, he says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Notice the difference in the two prayers. Forgive me. God be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I was impressed in the Old Testament. A couple here I want to look at. Exodus 34, 9. We have Moses speaking here to God. Notice what Moses said here in light of after he destroyed, he threw down the Ten Commandments and they broke. Moses was frustrated. Moses was realized they had sinned. And notice what Moses said. He said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for that inheritance. He placed himself right with everybody else. And that was the prayer God heard. We have another one in Daniel chapter 9. When Daniel was praying, verses 8 through 13. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of faith, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled among us. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants of prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey the voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake unto us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done in Jerusalem." As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us, yet we made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Go over to verse 19. Hear, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Again, he recognized himself right with those. We could also look at in Jeremiah. Jeremiah also classified himself right with the rest of the people. He said, we have sinned. Calling on God for forgiveness. The next one is obligation, our debts. Forgive us our debts. Our wrongs. My mind goes to the verse, the song, he paid a debt. What is that? He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to take my sins away. We recognize we had a debt we could not pay. 
And so we are calling on God to forgive us. And we have forgiveness. As we forgive. How do you forgive? Well, I'll forgive you, but don't do it again. You ever feel that way? We can be the limiting factor in the way we forgive others. Forgive us. Are we willing to forgive? Next we have love and mercy. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtor. Who is our debtor? We are a debtor to God and to Christ. Again, my mind goes to another song, a Christian hymnal. The gate ajar for me. Thinking of love and mercy. There is a gate that stands ajar, and through its portals gleaming, a radiance from the cross afar, the Savior's love revealing. Then the chorus goes, A depth of mercy can it be, that gate was left ajar for me. The gate ajar stands free for all who seek through its salvation, the rich and poor, the great and small, of every tribe and nation. And then our response is the last two verses of that song. Love and mercy. We are debtors to Christ. Matthew 6. Right after he prayed the Lord's prayer. He says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So we see there love and mercy in the words our debtor. Next we are asking for guidance. Lead us. Do you want God to lead you? Or do you want to go your own way? Lead us. For God to lead us, we need to be willing to follow. We have protection. And so often I think we take this for granted. Not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. We are asking God not only to guide us and to lead us, but again, specific things. Lead us not into temptation. We cannot expect protection if we place ourselves in the way of temptation. We have salvation. Deliver us. We all want deliverance. We are asking God to deliver us. Psalm 
Salvation can only come after penitence. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bed of salvation. Righteousness, deliver us from evil. Not only protection from Satan and temptations that come our way, but to lead us in righteousness. Do we want righteousness? Do we want to go in the right way? Or do we have the vision that the Israelites had that once they got in the wilderness, they remembered all the good things that they had in Egypt. And they forgot how enslaved they were. But they, they wanted those things that they left in Egypt. I trust we don't want to pick those things back up that God has delivered us from. Faith. For thine is the kingdom. Are we living a life of faith? We could go to James 2. I won't take the time to turn there. He speaks of faith and works. He said, faith without works is dead. Humility. We have the phrase, and the power. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Speaking of humility, we recognize God as the one who has power, not us. We have reverence. And speaking of the glory of God, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And we have the word forever. That of timelessness. We can't imagine eternity. But forever. And then the affirmation with the word amen. Which means so be it. Are we affirming what God can do for us? Are we okay or in agreement with that? And do we want that in our lives? So as we pray this prayer, I trust that we can, again, realize what we are praying when we pray. And it's not just become a form or a ritual that we go through. But we can personally enjoy the goodness of God. Shall we have a song?